Amen. Take your copy of God's Word, if you will, this morning and turn to the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, as we begin looking at verse 35 this morning. How many of you have ever been on a field trip before? It's almost a universal experience, isn't it? So many of us get to go on field trips. Hey, how many of you that are teachers here this morning led a field trip? The Lord bless you and keep you. Very grateful for you and the sacrifice you made for our children. You know, there are all kinds of field trips that we get to attend with our kids, or maybe as teachers we get to lead those field trips. It's, it's kind of an outside-the-classroom experience, right? Whether you're, um, well, well, whether you're going to a farm or to some workplace or to the zoo or maybe even to Mount Driscoll, and you have to climb that great mountain that will prepare you for Everest itself. Many of us have probably participated in field trips. The idea of a field trip, again, is to get outside of the classroom. It's to take what you have learned in the classroom and to somehow see it maybe more practically, maybe up closer. That is the hope and the aim of a field trip. Now, I know that some of our field trips, perhaps it's just a get out of the classroom, okay? Maybe it's just to kind of have a day for the children so that they can go and experience something different. But really, a field trip, when you think about it, should be integrated into the learning process. In other words, that which they have already heard about within the classroom setting, now they are able to see in practice. You know, Jesus used this idea of a field trip. Actually, when I look here at Mark chapter 4, and as I've already seen his teaching, his instruction, how he's been with the multitude all day long and how he has been fleshing out these parables, how he's been teaching about the kingdom, you see how he takes that inner core, that group of disciples that he has, and, and he takes them on a field trip. Verse 35 to me begins the field trip. Now, he didn't tell them this was exactly what he was going to do. He just said, hey, let's go to the other side. That's where we pick up. Look, verse 35, it says, on the same day. That is, on the same day that he's been teaching. He's been down by the seashore. He was out in his little boat. He had used it as a pulpit to speak to those who were on the shore. So on that same day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. So Jesus has been teaching all day, and he says, you know what, guys, let's get, let, let's just kind of Go over to the other side. Let's go to the eastern side of the Galilee. And let, let's perhaps, let's just go together. Maybe there's going to be a teaching moment. He doesn't tell them that. Maybe there's going to be a ministry opportunity over on the other side. He doesn't say. All he says is, let's go to the other side. Verse 36. Now, when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. Remember, he was out Again, in this little boat, teaching the people on the seashore. So it says, basically, Jesus just stayed in the boat. Everybody else kind of gathered in with him. And other little boats were also with him. So there were others who decided to follow along. Verse 37. And a great windstorm arose. And the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. The beginning of the field trip, the beginning of the practical learning 
the expression of faith, the expression of, of really all that they will have in their lives. They're going along, and, and notice the way the text just gives us this. It says, they're going over to the other side, they're in their boats, and all of a sudden this great windstorm, uh, in the original language, it's kind of like a mega storm. A great storm comes in their midst. Well, many of you, you've studied the scripture before, and you know, especially on the Sea of Galilee, that it was very easy that a storm would catch you, maybe unsuspectingly, it would catch you. It's like it's all of a sudden there. Some of you have been to the Sea of Galilee. Some of you are going to go, right? March, you're going to go with me and Dale? I won't mention Dale's name again. If you'll just go with me, that'll be good enough, all right? But the Sea of Galilee, it's kind of like a basin. There are mountains all around it. And before you know it, in just a moment, a storm can be upon you. The winds will come over those mountains and it will have such an effect that a storm will be on you before you can even know it. So here they are. They're going over the other side. One of those storms has somehow arisen and it's come against the folks who are there. And they're in the boat, and the waves are beating. Notice it says, the boat is filling. Verse 38. But he, that's Jesus, okay? He was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. Gotta love this picture, right? I mean, the boat is rocking, water's coming in, everything's happening, and Jesus is asleep. There at the start, CERN, he's using the pillow, the cushion that would be used by those who were not sailing or those who were not fishing, that he's using it to sleep. Now that seems so strange that Jesus would just be sleeping through this. And it was very strange for the disciples. Notice the way they approached him. They awoke him and said to him, teacher, love that word. Because again, this is a field trip. They're students. They are disciples. They're becoming more like him. They followed him in order to learn more. Mark uses the address of teacher here. The first time of 12 times that he uses it in his gospel, he'll also use the term rabbi, which is very closely connected with the idea of a teacher. He'll use that five times because Jesus is the master teacher. He is the rabbi. So they say, teacher... Do you not care that we are perishing? They go to Jesus, they wake him up, and they say, Jesus, do do you not even give any thought to us and who we are? Have you not even any concern for us at all? We are perishing. Literally, it means we are being destroyed. We are dying. And it's like you are just sleeping through this moment. I want to give you two truths this morning, okay? I want you to write them down. I want you to think about this. Perhaps God will use it to speak to you. First truth is this. When great storms come, they often bring great fear with them. When great storms come, they often bring great fear with them. Don't miss this. The disciples were frightened. They were scared. They believed that they are about to be destroyed. 
Now, as I was reading through this passage and just thinking through it of the ones who were there with Jesus, I realized that at least four of these are fishermen. So this is not their first time in a boat. It's not the first time upon the sea. So when these fishermen say it's bad, it's got to be bad, right? They've seen storms. They've seen all kinds of things there on the Sea of Galilee. And when they are so frightened, that must mean that the storm is great. It is destructive. And they realize that the storm was bad. Peter himself, maybe he was the one who offered this question. We don't know for sure, but hey, we know Peter was the spokesman for the disciples oftentimes. He was a fisherman. He goes perhaps to Jesus and he says, teacher, do you not care? I mean, do you not care about us at all? Do you not care that we are going through such difficult, we are being destroyed. Do you not care? I mean, it is an honest reflection from the disciples. Peter might could have said, hey, I know you called us to be fishers of men, but I didn't know that we were going to be out here fishing men out of the sea. I mean, I thought that meant something else. Jesus, we just followed you a few days ago. And when we followed you, you were going to teach us and you were going to instruct us. And we had given up everything. And now here we are in the middle of a storm. And you're not even attentive to our needs. You're sleeping through this. We're going through so much difficulty. What is going on with you, Jesus? We're going to come back to verse 39 in a moment. But look at verse 40. Jesus said to them, Why are you so fearful? Why are you so fearful? Again, I went and did my work in the original languages just so I could try to understand this exchange between Jesus and the disciples. Literally what Jesus said here was, why are you cowards? He used the word for coward. He said, why are you being a coward? Why are you cowards at this moment? Man, that is some strong language, right? I mean, certainly it was strong that the disciples would look at Jesus and say, you don't care about us. That's strong language. And then for Jesus to come around and say, why are you cowards in this moment? See, great storms can often bring great fear with them. And oftentimes, before we know it, well, we become, we become cowards in who we are and how we live. We know this. Great storms still come in our lives. If anything on this earth we know, we know great storms still come. Now, I know this is a literal storm. I know that. I, I've been through the classes that talk about this being a literal storm and Jesus demonstrating his power over nature. I've been through those classes. I've been through those cautions of not trying to expand the text beyond to some other kind of storms of life and those kinds of things. I know all that, but listen, when I hear this, when I see it, when I understand what the Scripture is saying to me, there's no doubt it just reminds us that there are great storms that are natural storms and also storms that we experience in our hearts and lives emotionally, relationally, spiritually. They're great storms. Hey, 
Even when Jesus is on board the ship with us, there are great storms. Just because you and I have accepted Jesus and we're in the presence of Jesus and just because we, we are there with him does not mean that we are removed from the storms of life. Storms still come. Literal storms still come. Obviously, we know that in this state. And over these last few weeks, we know that literal storms have come our way. Whether it was Harvey in South Texas or even southwest Louisiana, whether it was Irma over in Florida, whether it was Maria down in Puerto Rico. And for those of us who've been around this state for some time, and yeah, I've been here a while now, kind of hard to believe. It's growing on me. You know what I'm saying? Especially when I got to Ruston. But those of us who've been in this state, we know names like Katrina, and Rita and Gustav and many, many others that have affected us. And, and I know that in every one of those moments, those literal storms, they have wrecked people's lives. They have caused all kinds of physical damage, but also don't miss the mental impact that it has had as well. The emotional impact those storms have had upon people. Our friends down in South Louisiana, even... Other friends here in North Louisiana that experienced flooding last year. How those natural disasters themselves come to us. And look, when those things happen, they can bring great fear of what are we going to do? How are we going to make it? Where are we going to move? What's the job market going to look like? There's so many questions that those literal storms bring to us. But again, we know that this idea of storms is not just limited to the idea of a hurricane or a tornado or a thunderstorm itself. We know that the storms of this life, they demonstrate themselves in different ways. And unfortunately, over the last few weeks, we, we have seen the storm clouds gathering and we have seen a deluge here in our nation. I was reminded about it last night. As we gathered around our table to have our meal and my five-year-old offered the prayer to the Lord, she prayed for those individuals in Las Vegas that had been killed, the families People had been hurt by the killer, as she said. And how it wrenched my heart to know that we're sitting at a table blessing our food and that, that event is upon the five-year-old's mind. But we've seen those storms. And it's not been just in Las Vegas. It may have been upon an elementary campus in Newton. It may have been on a high school campus in Columbine, even a college campus of Blacksburg, Virginia. We have seen those storms. It could hit an Orlando nightclub, or it could, evil itself, could walk into a church in Charleston. The storms are all around us. 
And we've seen those storms. And those storms, each time they come in our lives, they can bring great fear to us. Questions. I remember one of the most gripping moments of my life was September the 11th, 9-11. I was down at New Orleans Seminary, and we had gone through our classes, and those early classes, all of a sudden you began to hear things, like people were getting kind of word. Uh, I, think, I think we had cell phones back then, didn't we, Les? Maybe. I know we had a bag phone. I think we had cell phones. Some of you don't even know what a bag phone is. And things began to just kind of slip, whispers in the classroom. People were beginning to talk. We didn't know what was going on. First, there was just a crash and just thought it was just an accident. And, you know, things began to change. And I'll never forget all the kind of turmoil that we experienced that day. And all of a sudden, the seminary dismissed classes. And, and when I was driving back across Lake Pontchartrain, the radio was on. It was talking about all the different things. And... Nobody had really a clue of what the extent of this was. There was another plane, of course, in Washington that had hit the Pentagon. There was the, a plane that had gone down in Pennsylvania. They were grounding all planes, but they didn't know how many were still in the air. And I will tell you, coming across Lake Pontchartrain, I don't know if I'd ever experienced that type of fear before. And I'd said to myself, if I could just get out of New Orleans. I mean, I live in Picayune. I live in Pine Grove. If I can just get there, I should be safe because nobody knows where that is. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> but just as I could get back across that lake and I could, get, I could experience the fear. Before we beat these disciples up, and yes, this is a lack of faith. I know that. But before we beat these disciples up, know how we also experience great fear when great storms come in our lives. Our faith can fail as well because we are human individuals that can give over to fear so quickly. So many of us were fearful during those days as classes didn't resume for some time, as the news just constantly reported and theories were brought forth and what again was going to happen the fear consumed so many of us but let me take it down even from the great storms that affect us as a nation and as a people may I take it down just for a moment of the great storms that can blow in our personal lives because everybody else may not experience it the way we do but all oh, the headwinds are so strong when they come into our lives When the doctor says, I think I felt a lump. When he says, there was something on the scan that we need to check out further. Or when he says, it might be a little more serious than I thought. We need to follow up with a specialist. Don't tell me that the storm clouds don't gather around your heart in life. Storms come. When your husband looks at you and says, you know what, I don't think this is working. Or your wife says, 
you know, I think I want to do something else in life. When your boss comes to you and says, you know, we're downsizing. The company has kind of gotten out of whack in some areas. We're going to downsize and try to be more financially responsible. Storms. And the human part of us, the human part of us experiences great fear when those things happen. We can be very fearful. And to be honest, hey, let's just be honest. There are times we probably look at God and we say, God, don't you care? God, we're going down here. The ship is sinking. God, we are being destroyed. God, we are dying. Do you not even care? It's as though you are sleeping on your watch. And we're going through so much difficulty here. But I want to give you the second truth. And that is when great storms come, they can bring great fear with them. Now, some of you just looked at me and you wrote down the first note, right? And you said, that's exactly what you said a moment ago. Obviously, you did not have enough coffee this morning. Or maybe you didn't get enough sleep last night. You just told us the same thing. You said there were two truths. And you just told us the same, same thing. I did. And I hope I stated it exactly the same way. Because I want to flesh this second truth out to you and hopefully encourage you this morning. Because when great storms come, they can bring great fear with them. Notice what Jesus did, verse 39. Then he arose and rebuked the wind. The word rebuke there, the same word that's used in chapter 1, verse 25 where Jesus rebuked the evil spirit. Now, I don't want to read too much into this, but I do believe that this storm could have been demonically influenced. We're going to see his power over demons in next week when we come, but I think it could have been demonically influenced. Don't you believe for a moment that Satan took time off during Jesus' earthly ministry here? Satan was doing everything he could to destroy Jesus and his disciples. So Jesus rebuked. That word rebuke, according to Luanada, means that he gave a command with an implication of a threat. I kind of like that. Jesus said, hey, you, you wind, you waves, said, you be still, peace. And he did it with almost like an implication of a threat. Like, I'm about to get in your business if you don't leave my friends alone. I love it. He did with it. He's like, I'm telling you, you better back off. And you better back off now. He did it in a decisive way. The word peace, be still. Notice again, it says, he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. That word peace there is not like the typical word for peace that you find in the New Testament. It means literally, be silent, or as some have translated, don't talk back. 
In other words, I'm speaking to you, and I don't want to hear another word from you. Don't. It's kind of like, talk to the hand. I love the way Jesus shows his authority here. He says, I don't want to hear another word. Be still means, again, to stop making any sound. That word be still also could be translated be muzzled. Or in other words, I'm about to put a muzzle on you. It's the same word that's used to muzzle animals. So he says, I'm putting a muzzle on you. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. Again, that word great is that idea of the mega calm. Like there was a mega storm, but when it met Jesus, there was a mega calm. I love it. I love the way Jesus illustrates this for us. There is the calm that is after the storm. It's the idea that the waves would no longer rage. They would lay down. Some would translate it that it was as still as a tabletop. Jesus came and intervened within the storm. He had the authority to do that. And let me say to you that yes, great storms will come, but you never forget Jesus has the authority over every storm. Whether it is a natural disaster whether it is an emotional issue, whether it is a relational, whether it is a medical difficulty that we're facing, the Jesus we serve has authority over all those things. Notice, again, Jesus said, why are you so fearful? How is it that you've had no faith? Verse 41. And they, they feared exceedingly. Again, in the original language, it reads literally, and they feared a great fear. That mega, they feared a mega fear. So there's been a mega storm met by the mega calmness of Jesus' authority, and now there is mega fear. But I thought we're past that. The storm has been silenced. There has come. Why would there be fear? I mean, why are, they, why are they fearful now? They were fearful in the beginning. We understood that because they were going through the storm. But why are they fearful now? Because they had come close to the powerful, all-authoritative Son of God. And when you come close to Him, and when you recognize who He is and what He is capable of, there is a fear. You might define it as a holy respect, all standing before Him that overwhelms you. As a matter of fact, look at what they say. Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey Him? It's like they are attentive to Him. The wind and the sea, they can hear Him and they respond immediately to what he says. Note this. They recognize the miracle in it. At some point, the wind would have abated. At some point, it would have. But the miracle of this is that it ceased immediately when Jesus spoke. And they began to look around at each other and said, 
Whoa, who is this again? Who is this Jesus that is here? Who is this teacher? Who is this master? They recognize that he is the son of God. You know, familiarity can really breed contempt. We're around it so much, around people, around things, we just kind of forget their uniqueness, the special context that we find ourselves in. Hey, Sunday morning, we can come together, and we just do it so often that we just kind of forget how tremendous this opportunity is for us. We just get used to it, getting up, going about our business, coming, sitting in our same pew. Did I say that out? <laughs> our pew, and uh, then we sit there, and we sing the songs, and we do that. We forget. Sometimes we, we grow so familiar with the things that are going on. We, we forget that we come into this place to enter into a time of worship. And the scripture says where two or three are gathered, there he is also. There's a special manifestation of his presence that he is there too. And what a special moment. And here, this is a special moment because they recognize that they are not just with some other teacher or some other master, this some other human being. They are there before the presence of God. And something in them makes them stand there in awe. They are fearful because when great storms come in our life, it gives God an opportunity to work in such a way that we will be filled also with great fear. That is a great awe of who he is. See, I love this passage because it is so personal. It's as though an eyewitness has given it to us. You say, well, John Mark wasn't there, but... Early church fathers say that he was the interpreter of Peter. So I believe Peter's going back and Peter's talking to John Mark about it. And Peter's getting all these things. Yeah, man, we were there. Man, you can't believe this. It was like, it was like the water was coming in and we were about to die. I went to Jesus. And, oh, don't, by the way, don't tell him I was the one that went to Jesus and, and, and asked him why he didn't care for us. But I was, we were... We were there. We were in that situation. Oh, if you would have seen, if you would have heard the authority with which Jesus spoke, and if you would have been able to experience this in your heart, in your life, to know that we were, that, that we were there in the very presence of God. See, I can hear that personal testimony because in a sense it was like, in a sense it was like Peter was reflecting on the deity of, of Jesus and it was like he was saying if we hadn't gone through that storm we might not have known his authority and his power because God will allow storms to come in our lives listen so that we will know his power and his authority so that we will trust him that we will grow in him so that we will be able to stand in awe of who he is and what he has done. It's hard to see it in the storm. One of the first to admit how God could use these things. Or even how God could speak into these things. But once you get through the storm. May I back up and just say this to you? 
you will get through the storm. If Jesus said, let's go to the other side, you can bank on it. You're going to get to the other side. Verse 1 wasn't in my little passage today, but I've been reading chapter 5, verse 1. It says, then they came to the other side. Jesus said, hey, we're going to the other side. We're going to get there. The storm may have come. They weren't for that. They didn't know that was going to happen, but they got to the other side. And I want you to hear, Jesus will get you to the other side. It may be through the storm, but he will get you to the other side. Great fear may grip your heart and your life as you go through it. That is a human response. But I encourage you to remember the authority and the power of the God above. Trust him. Have faith in him. Because he will move you to the other side. And when you go out after experiencing these storms and this deliverance, you tell them. You tell everybody you see. You tell them that he calms the storms. Amen. That he is the one that can speak and the winds and the waves obey. You tell them what he has done in your heart and life. Let's pray. Father, how we praise you for... Lord, getting us through the storms. And Lord, we admit our inadequacy today here in this place. Many days, we can understand the theology, we can hear the doctrine, but Lord, when we're out on our field trips, we're putting things in practice, Lord, it's very difficult. It's very difficult to hold on to faith. Lord, fear just paralyzes us. We admit it. We put it before you today. For those times of doubt in our lives, we're sorry. But God, today here in this place, would you remind us of your authority? you remind us of your majesty would you remind us that there is no one else like you no one else that could speak to the wind and the waves no one else that could speak to the storm and father through that give us the encouragement and the challenge we need some of us right now in this place are going through the storm we're in the boat and yes in our private prayers, you've heard us cry out, Lord, did you even care? But God, we come to you today and we say, Lord, help us. Help us to trust you. Help us to believe. Help us to know that the other side is just a, just a few ways off, Lord. Now, Lord, I pray that as we hear and as we see that today in this place we would stand in awe of who you are. And Lord, we would worship you as the rightful Son of God. We praise you in Jesus' name.